It's Friday, May 26th. I'm Trayvall Anderson. And I'm Aaron Ryan. And this is What A Day, where with Barry and Succession ending this Sunday, Max is starting to sound a little more like minimum. Let's face it, that <laughs> network is nothing without its prestige dramas about white boys with trauma. Enjoy your finales, everyone, because I heard the idol sucked. <laughs> On today's show, Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, has been sentenced to 18 years in prison. Plus, the official summer soundtrack has arrived. But first, as Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month comes to a close, we want to zero in on the P.I. in A.A.P.I. Who color me intrigued. Let's do it. As many of you know, I'm a journalist that's been covering the issue of diversity in Hollywood for about a decade now, and the importance of representation is a cornerstone of my work. In that spirit, when I was speaking recently with producer Raven about a conversation we could bring to the WAD squad, they mentioned how Pacific Islander stories especially often get the short end of the stick during this month. Folks center on the AA and ignore and effectively erase the PI in AAPI. And so we wanted to do something different. And I called up one of my good friends, Christian Fanene Schmidt. Christian is the executive director and co-founder of the Pacifica Entertainment Advancement Committee, or PEAK, which is an organization dedicated to supporting and uplifting Pacifica talent. I started by asking him about who exactly are we talking about when we use the identity label of Pacific Islander. Yeah, I mean, even for me who grew up in a Pacific Island in Aotearoa, otherwise known as New Zealand, we're not taught this in schools. It wasn't until I took Pacific studies at university. So the Pacific is made up of three subregions. You have Micronesia, Melanesia, and Polynesia. The way that those names came about was from a white discoverer, even though people were living in these lands for thousands of years. And basically he saw a group of islands and there were many islands. So it's like, oh, many islands, Polynesia, Poly, many, Nisia, islands. Same thing for Micronesia. Oh, these are a lot of small islands. So we're going to call these the small islands, Micronesia. And then Melanesia, he was basically like, I see black people, melanin, black, Nisia. So... Problematic terms, but uh, it's not uncommon for a lot of us to have taken ownership of them and, and wear them as a source of pride, too. And we can often trace a, I think, lack of knowledge about Pacific Islanders to a lack of representation in the media. There's a 2021 report from the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative that found that Pacific Islanders accounted for less than 6% of speaking roles and less than 4% of leads in Hollywood films. Could you talk a little bit about those numbers, about representation, what it looks like now? Have we seen any major or pivotal improvements when it comes to Pacific Islander representation in recent years? What I'll say about those statistics, right, we're actually overrepresented because we make up less than 1% of the total population in the U.S. So we're actually doing pretty good when it comes to representation. But what I will say is the representation that we are seeing in Hollywood, it's often quite one-dimensional. When people are like, yeah, representation matters, like that's so outdated to me because not all representation is good representation, right? And when we're looking at stereotypes and the roles that we keep seeing over and over again, they often lack the, the nuance and the authenticity and the depth that we really want to see uh, as a community. 
you've been very vocal about the fact that Pacifica people who live at various intersections of identities are even less visible in entertainment. You wrote an article for the publication Them detailing how queer and trans Pacifica people in particular are invisible despite having such rich histories. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I think it just comes back to, and this isn't just unique to the U.S., I think in general, our queer or MVP FAF Plus, it's a label that was created by a colleague of mine, Felicia Brown-Acton, who basically sees Western labels like gay, lesbian, queer, um, they don't necessarily translate neatly into the terms that we use in, in the Pacific, and they often lose the, the spiritual and cultural underpinnings when you try to you know make them fit. So due to things like colonization, uh, Christianity and religion, those roles and, and our, our diversity and gender expression and sexuality has been demonized and therefore you know erased when it comes to our representation in film and television especially. Let's talk a little bit more about your organization, PEAK. Tell us why you started it and what work you and your fellow organizers are doing to remedy how invisible Pacific Islanders are in media. Yeah, so I started it because when people use the term AAPI, well, first of all, AAPI is only a term that exists within the US. It's not anywhere outside, you know, internationally. It was something that was coined specifically for the US for the census back in the 1980s. And the intention behind it was inclusivity and it was um, solidarity because there were around 2 million Asians back then and only a couple hundred thousand Pacific Islanders. You fast forward to now when you have, you know, over 20 million Asian Americans and and close to 2 million Pacific Islanders kind of outgrowing that, right? And so when you see people use the term AAPI, they only really mean Asians. And so it's often a source of erasure, a source of pain for our communities. And so I saw that when it comes to entertainment specifically, you have a lot of organizations doing great work under the API umbrella, but there aren't ever any Pacific Islanders or Pacifica people in their staff or board even. So it's like, Who's going to fight for our communities more than us ourselves, right? You know, especially for me coming from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I was born and raised in Pacific communities, right? And and all my life, I've been involved in Pacifica-focused organizations. And yeah, we've just been building relationships with the studios, streaming services, really getting out there and making people aware of what our issues are and, and making sure they know where to come to if ever there's something that people aren't sure of when it comes to consulting and things like that. We're here for the community. We're here to really hold others accountable, but also to give that education. And that's why, you know, I appreciate platforms like this where I can do that. So I should say for the listeners that you and I are close friends. And so I know you've been engaged in various conversations about disaggregating the PI from API, AAPI, and just like breaking it up all together. Could you talk a little bit about the reason behind that sort of thinking? Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, the two largest parts of the world kind of lumped together and it, and it just doesn't make sense, right? So the ultimate goal is to separate AAs from PIs when it comes to that label and, you know, give us our own month, give us our own resource groups and, and things like that. But the trouble is right now, so many resources are tied to that particular grouping. And so as we try to figure out the best way to move forward to have that separation, we just have to be very intentional about what's gonna work best for our community so that we still have access to um, the most resources as possible. Is there a specific 
term or something that you're looking to replace it with? Or would it just be, you know, Pacific Islander and Asian American folks? I don't even like that term AAPI because it's like Asian American and then PIs. And it's like, okay, so uh, Pacific Islanders, wouldn't you attach American onto that? So I don't know, just that feels funny to me. Mm. And then when, when you use the term NHPI, that centers native Hawaiians. And so it's like, okay, so what about the rest of us? You know, so even that feels a bit funny because back home in New Zealand, for instance, Māori are in a separate, the indigenous people, Māori in a separate category from Pacific Islanders. And that makes sense because, you know, Māori are the, the indigenous people of the land and they hold a very special place. Here in the States, there are multiple US territories in the Pacific. So there's not just Hawaii. You look in Micronesia, you look at American Samoa, you know, there are several. So it's like, for me, NHPI as an organization, at least, we prefer to use Pacifica. But if we have to use one of those terms, uh, PI or NHPI, we go with PI. That was my conversation with Christian Fanene Schmidt, co-founder and executive director of PEAK, the Pacifica Entertainment Advancement Committee. Consider donating to support their work. We'll have the relevant links in our show notes. That is a great note to end AAPI Heritage Month on, Trayvall. Thank you. Thank you. That is the latest for now. Let's get to some headlines. Headlines. Yesterday marked three years since the day Minneapolis police murdered George Floyd. On May 25th, 2020, a white police officer kneeled on Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes as he gasped for air, saying, I can't breathe. Video footage of Floyd's death revitalized a movement to address systemic racism and the disproportionate killing of unarmed Black people at the hands of police. Folks across the world took to the streets in protest of racial violence and police brutality, calling for systemic changes. In the aftermath of Floyd's murder, the city of Minneapolis banned chokeholds and neck restraints, and Minneapolis police officers are now required to stop other officers from using improper force. The federal government continues to investigate whether police in Minneapolis and officers across the country regularly participate in unlawful policing. Derek Chauvin, the white cop that killed Floyd, was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison for second-degree murder. But on a federal level, the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which would have banned chokeholds and no-knock warrants, stalled out in the Senate. Tragically, echoes of Floyd's murder continue across the country, as seen this year with the fatal beating of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee. Still, lawmakers and activists continue to advocate for systemic change. Yesterday, President Biden once again called on Congress to enact police reform in light of the anniversary of Floyd's death. Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the far-right militia group The Oath Keepers, was sentenced to 18 years in prison yesterday for his role in the January 6th insurrection. This is the longest prison sentence handed down to any January 6th defendant so far. Couldn't have gone to a nicer guy. And it comes after Rhodes was found guilty of seditious conspiracy in November, a rare Civil War-era charge reserved for those who conspire to overthrow the federal government which is kind of what he what he did. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's sentencing was a big win for the Justice Department, which has long sought to hold far-right extremist groups accountable for the Capitol riots. Rhodes maintained that the consequences for his actions on January 6th were unfair ahead of his sentencing, calling himself a, quote, political prisoner. Interesting. Hmm. 
Well, look at all these tears. I'm not crying for him. But the presiding <laughs> judge in the case was adamant to remind Rhodes that he evidently, quote, wanted the democracy in this country to devolve into violence. Kelly Meggs, another oath keeper who was convicted of seditious conspiracy with Rhodes last year, was also sentenced to federal prison yesterday. He's set to serve 12 years behind bars. Man, they really love the fuck around part, but not so much the find out part. <laughs> I bet they're they're regretting their actions now. Yes, karma is a bitch and she never forgets. Period. In a unanimous decision Wednesday, the Supreme Court ruled that the EPA had overreached with its application of the Clean Water Act when it restricted a couple's construction on a soggy piece of land in Idaho. But while the court agreed that the agency had overstepped in this specific case, there was a sharp division on new metrics laid out by the majority that would establish exactly where the EPA has oversight on wetlands territory. Writing for five justices, Justice Samuel Alito ruled that the Clean Water Act does not extend to wetlands near bodies of water unless they bear a, quote, continuous surface connection to those waters. More than half the nation's wetlands lack this connection to a continuous flowing body of water, leaving them now vulnerable to unregulated pollution and development. Experts say the decision will have potentially disastrous consequences for millions of acres of wetlands in the United States, as it will broadly limit the federal government's ability to address pollution and flooding. At least with rising sea levels, eventually everything will be one continuous water surface. Is that a silver lining? Is that perhaps? What is optimism? I don't know. I don't know. When it comes to the environment, I have no idea. Man, we need new, better laws and a new, better Supreme Court. If you're already oh, yes. looking for the song of the summer, look no further than the official Barbie movie soundtrack. Generating somehow even more buzz for the inevitable summer blockbuster, the long list of collaborators for the movie's soundtrack dropped yesterday. With a list of names that could easily be confused for people you might see in a Met Gala bathroom selfie. Haim, Charlie XCX, Ice Spice, Nicki Minaj, Dominic Fike, The Kid Leroy, and Lizzo are just some of the featured vocal talent on the soundtrack, which was executive produced by Mark Ronson, a.k.a. the guy who famously brought us Uptown Funk and some other things besides Uptown Funk, but just one. <laughs> one Ronson John. Uh, Barbie cast members Dua Lipa and Ryan Gosling are also set to be featured on the soundtrack. You know, it's easy to forget, Travel, that Ryan Gosling was a member of the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. Kid can sing. Kid well, can sing. we're about to Question find out. Is, do we want him to? The answer is no. He can. Does that mean he should? <laughs> and while we're not sure what Ryan Gosling's going to be doing, Dua Lipa's original single for the film Dance the Night dropped last night. Basically, she's everything and he's just Ken. If you, like some of our team at WAD, cannot wait for this movie, you are in luck. The soundtrack announcement debuted alongside a new full-length trailer for Greta Gerwig's upcoming film, which we could expect in theaters on July 21st. Take that Oppenheimer soundtrack. What do you got? What are you going to come back with? Listen, Toby you, Keith? You going to get Toby <laughs> Keith on this? <laughs> Toby Keith is like, now what did I do? How did I get in it? <laughs> Sorry, Toby. I mean, no, I'm not. He seems mean. He seems like a mean man. I'm so excited for this movie. I have heard it is a delight and the marketing mm. could not be like more exciting to me. I am looking forward to it. I will be seeing it opening weekend. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Does it sort of evoke in you the excitement of like walking down the Barbie aisle when you were a kid? Yes. Like, how exciting it was to like 
that exact feeling. It's now come to life, you know? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. it's going to give so much nostalgia, so much, like, you know, like, when you were younger and you just had to, like, imagine what Barbie's life was like in that dream house? Now we get to see it. Can't wait. Can't wait. And those are the headlines. We'll be back after some ads. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach & Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. What a Day is brought to you by Ramp. We are all looking for ways to simplify our finances. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that true? (laughs) Or tax week? Man. That is why there's Ramp. Ramp is a corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Two things we love to do. Love that. With Ramp, you are able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Wow. This is huge. Ramp is super easy to use. Get started and start making payments in less than 15 minutes. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash wad, ramp.com slash wad, R-A-M-P dot com slash wad. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash wad today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash wad. It's Friday, Wad Squad, and we want to congratulate you all for making it to the weekend. To help us cap things off this week, I'm joined by our new friend, V-Spare. You may know them from their daily news updates on the tickety talks from under an actual desk. And because it sometimes takes longer than a couple minutes to explain what's going on in our wild, wild world, they also host their own bi-weekly podcast called The Interesting from Lemonada Media. V, welcome to What A Day. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. So glad you gave us a little bit of your time. You came from under the desk to speak with us. Love that. I did. I got all dressed up and, and came right on up here. A lot of air out here. but A lot of air. <laughs> so we have had one hell of a week this week in particular. The debt ceiling business is still going on. Some guy from Florida named Ron is running for president. But I want to know... What's the headline that caught most of your attention over this past week? So I think something that's been really interesting is people batting around the fact that TikTok sued the state of Montana over their TikTok ban. Mm -hmm. And folks are like, oh, TikTok sued Montana. 
but it's the way they sued them and what they sued them alleging has been violated that I think is very interesting. Okay, let's break it down. Okay, so first off, Montana has enacted a ban on TikTok uh, that's just for the state, and it's completely unenforceable, and I have no fear at all that this is going to be setting any kind of precedent. If anything, it's proving how difficult it is. But TikTok is suing, saying that the state has violated their, as a company's, First Amendment rights, which is so interesting because, of course, companies are people, have been since 1886. But they're also saying that the ban violates the Constitution's Commerce Clause, which restricts state laws that could impair the flow of business across state lines. Mm. There's 5 million businesses on TikTok. And they're also saying that Montana's ban would preempt federal law by intruding upon matters of national concern. Montana's trying to say, we have to ban TikTok to protect our data from foreign adversaries. And TikTok is like, "Uh uh-uh, state of Montana, that is a concern of Congress and the president. Mm -hmm. And they also brought up this like very old timey clause. They accused Montana of an unconstitutional bill of attainder, which Hmm. is like colonial speak Mm -hmm. for when they want to uh, ban something or get rid of somebody without giving them a trial. Ah. And here in the United States, bills of attainer are unconstitutional. So they've got all these really great points and they've spun like a very solid story. And uh, all the experts say that TikTok's probably going to win here. Oh, so you mean to tell me we have to be on TikTok's side? Yes, Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) (laughs) We are now uh, rooting for the corporations to have constitutional (laughs) rights. Yes. So now how, as a famous TikToker yourself, Mm -hmm. we have covered on the show a couple different ways. The whole TikTokery situation, the different states trying to ban it, the federal government. You know, restricting it in various ways. Mm -hmm. They worried about China and, you know, data security and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. As a TikToker yourself, how are you feeling? How are you faring? What are your thoughts on the whole conversation writ large? So at first, back in March, before the hearing, I was really worried. I was like, wow, they're going to shut this down and like all these people's livelihoods, all the community that we built um, is just going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the hearing and I sat directly behind Chochu, which was a choice. And I worked really hard to get that seat. And I <laughs> made people switch seats with me and all kinds of stuff because I'm a comically recognizable part of TikTok, right? So as those Congress people who some of them I had made TikToks with before were looking at him, I wanted them to also see me and remember that I represent a lot of their constituents and a lot of the good times we had together on TikTok. After the hearing, I did not think we were going to get a ban. And then watching the way that TikTok and even members of the media turned on the Restrict Act. Mm. The Restrict Act is the big piece of legislation that within had the TikTok ban. And we're calling it the Patriot Act 2.0. And they had like regular people like highlighters out, like going through line by line of the bill and saying like, this is unconstitutional. I'm not giving up my privacy this way. I'm not doing this here. And we have not heard much about the Restrict Act since. And I think that's because Congress woefully underestimated the civic intelligence of the public, especially at this point in history. Mm. So we haven't heard much about it. So I do not feel like there'll be a TikTok ban anytime soon. You're not concerned. You're not worried. I'm not concerned, no. And I'm and what I don't want to do, and I hope other people here too, is like some of this fear was to kind of ruin the fun, right? So get you all scared that you're going to lose your community, you're going to lose your platform. Why don't you move your whole audience over to Meta or Snapchat or one of the ones they mm-hmm. hold stock in? I just hope people don't feel that scared. I hope they just keep enjoying. If they love creating, if they love watching, I hope they keep doing that. 
Thank you, V. Spare, for joining us. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. That was V. Spare, host of Under the Desk News on TikTok and the podcast V. Interesting. You were wonderful. One more thing before we go. The Crooked Store is celebrating Memorial Day with 15% off site-wide now through Monday, May 29th. Plus new items and steeper markdowns in the sales section. Grab something fun to start your summer off right and refresh your wardrobe so you'll always have something to wear to Trump's jury's election. Head to crooked.com slash store to shop the sale. That's all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, protect your wetlands, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just the ever-expanding cast list for Barbie like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And, and take, take us, us to, to the, the dream, dream house. house. Oh my God, I want to live there. I want to live in the dream house. I don't want to live there, but, you know, I want to experience it. I want to see it. I want to peruse, if you will. I will be living there. You're welcome to drop by whenever. <laughs> What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzy Quintanilla, and Raven Yamamoto is our associate producer. We had production assistance this week from Fiona Pestana. Jossie Kaufman is our head writer, and our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. 